It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And Father, we humbly ask as we continue now to worship that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you just prepare each and every one of us, Lord, that you take away those things that would distract our hearts or minds or Lord keep us from hearing clearly everything that you want to say to us from this portion of scripture in the word of God we ask that Lord as you inspired this by your spirit that now by your Holy Spirit you would interpret it and help us to understand it and that you'd instruct each and every one of us from this section of your word speak to us Lord bless your word by your spirit's ministry we ask believing such in Jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated you know whether it be traditional wrestling or things like jujitsu or judo or MMA mixed martial arts there is this thing where what they do is seek to put one another if you ever watched this before in what they call submission holds uh, and when you get somebody into one of those submission holds, whether it's a particular choke or an arm bar or something like this, the other person sort of taps and the idea is there is that's an indication that you've been submitted, that you've uh, given up because of the position that they got you in. You just yield and surrender yourself. Well, I want to tell you something. Uh, God is absolutely able to submit anybody. Uh, and he has some pretty creative and unique ways to go about doing that and bringing us to a place of what we call repentance. And, and I want to say it is truly even a measure of God's mercy in the lives of human beings that God has given to us the capacity to do this thing called repent. And the word repent basically just means to change. It means to, to turn around and to go the other way. It speaks of a change of mind that leads to a change of direction and just yielding ourselves from really being self-willed to really submitting to God and to his will for our lives. And we're going to see in this chapter and the chapter ahead that God honors repentance when he brings us to that place where we submit and yield and change our mind and, and, and turn back towards the Lord in some ways. In Jonah chapter 2, as we continue in this interesting story, is basically the record now of Jonah's prayer. It's the record of Jonah being submitted by God and basically repenting and turning back to God after a time of rebellion and disobedience. And it reflects his thanksgiving 
to God for God mercifully sparing him and giving him the opportunity actually to repent and turn back to the Lord. Now, certainly important to just refresh our memories or if you weren't here with us last time to understand what's going on in the story. Jonah chapter one as a recap tells us that the word of God came to one of his prophets named Jonah. He had already been speaking as a prophet. This was not his first assignment. It wasn't his first time he heard God speak to him or that he then spoke on God's behalf. But God spoke to Jonah and told him arise to go to Nineveh a great city of the Assyrian people, a pagan people who were very cruel and barbaric in their practices. And God said, their great wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah, I want you to go there because I want to have mercy on these people in their lost condition. And I want to give them an opportunity to repent so they can be spared from the judgment of God that they deserved. Jonah didn't like this idea that God wanted to show them mercy. And he feared that if he went there, that God would just be nice to them. So remember, Jonah tells us, made a decision at that moment, though God told him to go one direction, God told him to go about 600 miles east. Jonah says, went down to the seaport of Joppa and there he found a ship heading 1200 miles to the west, the exact opposite direction. And he paid the fare and he got on board and he thought, praise God, an open door to not obey God's will. And he took the open door, which really was just the devil's open door, because the devil will gladly accommodate when we don't want to obey God and give us the opportunity to disobey if that's what we want. And Jonah got on board and started heading the opposite direction. He's not going to do what God wants and he's not going to submit to God's plan or purpose for his life. And of course, God not wanting Jonah really to shipwreck and ruin his own life. God brought this great storm upon the sea. Things became difficult and turbulent and there was this whole experience. Everybody on board is crying out to their own God and doing everything they can to survive and wanting to be spared. Somehow they're tossing the cargo overboard. They are in desperation mode because the storm at sea is so bad. Ultimately, through a series of events, God flushes out that Jonah on board is the one responsible for this horrible storm that was going on. And as they realized that this was Jonah who had done this, they said, well, look, what should we do? You're the one who knows the God of the heavens and the earth and the one who's created this storm. And Jonah says, listen, just throw me overboard into the violent storm and the waters will become calm for you and everything will stop that's happening so chaotic at the moment here out in the midst of the sea. And again, we saw how Jonah was willing, so stubborn, he was actually willing to die rather than to do God's will. And so he said, just throw me overboard and everything will get better for you. Well, they did everything they could to, to try and salvage the ship and Jonah and they were trying to row and ultimately they sort of came to a place of repentance before God themselves. Somehow they were converted. <laughs> they start praying to Jonah's God and saying, you're the one true God, please forgive us for this. And they tossed Jonah into the water in a moment of desperation. And we saw there in verse 17 at the end of chapter one, look at it with me again. The last verse of chapter one is Jonah's tossed overboard. It says, now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights now certainly there are if you do a little research large enough whales and sea animals big enough to ingest a person in fact if it would interest you there are his some historical records out there that exist one with the last a man with a last name by the name of Bartley 
who was actually swallowed by a large whale and was actually inside of it, the story tells, for a few days. And when they caught it and they opened up the animal, he was found still inside. Uh, and, and his life was spared. He really suffered, other than just the trauma of the experience, very little harm as the result of this. So there are a few accounts of things like this happening. But let me just say this, and not that I need the accounts, even if you don't believe the accounts, you think that's just not possible. Let me just say something. It says in the text, the Lord prepared a great fish. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord prepared a fish for this experience to salvage and to spare and to save Jonah, for Jonah to be swallowed and survive this ordeal. God's able to do anything, and God could have prepared one time in human history one unique animal. Quite frankly, he could have put a widescreen TV and a queen bed and heating and air conditioning inside. This is God here. (laughs) He could have done whatever he wanted to spare Jonah. So the Lord prepares this fish. He causes it to swallow Jonah to show mercy to salvage his life. And let me just say, for three days and three nights, he was in the belly of this fish. Can you just imagine, realistically, imagine that experience? I mean, what was that like for Jonah inside the belly of this large fish? You're talking total darkness, probably 100 plus degrees with 110% humidity, I'm sure, on top of that. Here he is with the stench and smell of fish guts everywhere around him. He's floating around, bouncing around in a mixture of soupy fluid of digestive juices and probably seaweed and and other sea animals and sea water. And you want to talk about undergoing the intensity of motion sickness on top of that? seasick inside of there being tossed around can't see where he's going i mean you want to talk about a miserable miserable experience which makes the first verse of chapter two look at it with me all the more shocking it says after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish then it says verse one jonah prayed to the lord his god from the fish's belly and said i cried out to the lord because of my affliction And he answered me. Take note, it took Jonah three days. In those miserable conditions, it took him three days until he finally prayed. After three days in that fish's belly, it says, verse 1, then Jonah prayed. And I'm thinking, three days of that? I mean, wasn't three hours of that enough? (laughs) wasn't i mean certainly i mean wasn't three minutes of that enough it took this guy three days still he held out for three days in those miserable conditions before he finally has a brokenness of his spirit and praise jonah reveals i'm telling you the stubbornness of humanity quite well there how truly stubborn and hard-hearted and hard-headed we can be how resistant and proud people can be toward god I mean, he displays this so clearly here. It's truly amazing how people can and will really fight against the will of God. I mean, just generally, how long people will hold out from submitting their life to God generally. 
Some of us, maybe that was our experience. We look back and we were a holdout. I mean, maybe everybody in our family was saved and there were people were telling us about the Lord and the Lord kept again and again trying to intervene and have people share the gospel with us and tell us what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And, and we were just holding out either maybe because we didn't want to leave our life of sin or sometimes people will just hold out because they can't let go of their life of religion or traditionalism of what they were raised in. And they're, no, but I'm a this. I was raised like this and we do this. And somebody says, look, but that's, but you need Jesus. And whether people hold out for religious experience or they hold out for a life of, of just living in rebellion and sin and wild existence, people really, I'm telling you, they will hold out sometimes before they'll finally just submit their life over to God. And how long sometimes as well? We can be pretty stubborn in holding out from what God wants us to do. And sometimes we know what God's will is. Maybe it's as simple as apologizing to someone or seeking forgiveness or reconciling a relationship or obeying the Lord to serve him in some way or to do something that we know God's told us to do and yet for whatever reason, fear or apprehension or selfishness or laziness, we kind of hold out and we wrestle with the Lord and we're stubborn and resistant kind of like Jonah here. I mean, we think of many examples. Jacob, we're told in the Old Testament, remember it says he wrestled all night with God. And God had to submit Jacob and really break him ultimately till he came to a place where he submitted himself to God. In Daniel chapter four, you read of Nebuchadnezzar and tells us that Nebuchadnezzar refused to obey and listen to God's word. And it actually describes there in, in Daniel chapter four, how Nebuchadnezzar, this king, had to lose everything. He lost his kingdom and his power and his position and his wealth. I mean, this guy lost everything and spent seven years living like an animal, literally living like an animal, the Bible says, until he finally submitted himself to the one true God. Of course, most of us are familiar with Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, right? And again, another demonstration of how this prodigal son, he had to try his own thing. Didn't matter what dad said to him or anybody. Look, I, I need to chart my own course. I don't care what you, I need to try it myself. And he had to go out there and just try the world. He had to go do his thing. And so he went out for a while and did the world thing for a while. And ultimately doing it his own way, he had to end up again losing everything he had and find himself literally, in a sense, living in the same condition as a pig, making a mess of his life, struggling to survive. And then finally he broke. And, and, and we see these examples throughout God's word. Jonah's not the only one of how, boy, we can be so stubborn and wrestle and wrestle. But the Bible says, woe to him who strives against his maker. I don't know about you, but I have found firsthand God never loses a wrestling match. Never. I mean, he is strong. He's got lots of endurance and he's got some incredible submission moves. Truly creative submission moves i mean and he always comes up with a new one whatever it takes he knows how to implement it so verse two says jonah finally prays and he says in verse two i cried out to the lord because of my affliction and he answered me notice verse two there i cried out he says because of my affliction take notice of that it was personal suffering and struggle that became the means to break jonah's spirit and to get him to actually surrender to God and pray. God loved Jonah. And because God loved Jonah like he loves you and I so much, God was willing to subject Jonah to whatever it took. 
and whatever it required to reach his heart and to to break his stubborn spirit, even willing to utilize personal difficulty, the miserable conditions of the sea and all those things and and being in the, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, all the painful and pleasant experiences to awaken Jonah, to wake him up and to get him to finally surrender to God. I mean, don't miss the language there. He says, I cried to the Lord because of, almost indicating if it was not because of the affliction, if it was not because of the painful thing that I went through personally or the hardship or the difficulty, I probably wouldn't have cried out to the Lord. But it was that difficulty, that personal hardship, the unpleasant experiences personally, that was what caused and convinced Jonah to finally cry out to God for mercy. It was through the doorway of personal hardship that Jonah finally realized that he needed God in his own life and that God's way would actually be better than his way. And sometimes, listen, ladies and gentlemen, it is necessary for people to actually suffer to actually struggle. And that's hard because in our American culture, we think there's something wrong with suffering. That's why we medicate ourselves for everything. That's why we have a pill for everything. You know, you go to other places in the world, suffering to other people is just, it's a part of life. They understand that. But in our culture, we, we almost think like there's something negative about suffering or struggle. You should not struggle. You should not suffer. Something's wrong if in any way you're struggling or suffering when the reality is, look, first of all, suffering just in general is a part of life, but sometimes we actually need as human beings because we can be a little rebellious and, and selfish and stubborn in some ways. Sometimes if we are being hard-headed or hard-hearted in order to soften us, God will allow us maybe to be afflicted or to deal with some hardship or struggle. And God is willing to let me and let you suffer and struggle if that's what it takes to reach us and to, to do what's best for our greater good. And perhaps you, know, you can look back in your life and you say, wow, yeah, it took that to get me to finally cry out to God. Or it took that to get me to submit my life to God. And you can maybe look back and, wow, it was actually that painful time, that hard experience. That's what God used to bring me to a better place in my life where I'm now submitted to God and in communication with God. And perhaps maybe even this morning, if you, like Jonah, have been resisting God in some way in your life in some area, and maybe things have been a little difficult recently. Maybe there's been some hardship or challenges or, or difficulties. Could it be that God's using that to try and get you to surrender, to try and get you to submit? And I'll tell you something else as far as interacting with others in our lives that we love we must be willing, just like God here with Jonah, we must be willing sometimes to even let other people struggle and suffer and maybe go through a little bit of hardship if that's, listen, what God's prescribed to get their attention or to bring them to a place of submission. I'll tell you this as parents, this is one of the areas where we have to be really, really sensitive with even with our own children. Because we love them, we want to protect them. Look, I, I believe in reality discipline. That sometimes reality is the best discipline. Because <laughs> it speaks for itself. Circumstances and consequences don't lie. And you, can't, you can argue against my counsel. But you can't argue against a consequence or a circumstance you created because that's what you chose. And, and, and sometimes we need to be willing 
with people in our lives that maybe we love and you know certainly we don't want to see people struggle but we have to trust the lord that like jonah people won't drown well they'll drown no they're probably not going to drown probably what's going to happen is they may end up being saved from their own self-destructive ways because they'll cry out to the lord and they'll actually be saved by the greatest lifeguard because the Lord will finally come in and be to them what he wants to be. Notice Jonah realized, he says in verse 2, when I was at my worst, he answered me. And I think it's beautiful that Jonah emphasizes, I cried out to the Lord, and he's remembering when I was disobedient, when I was really doing what I should not do, I created a mess for myself, but he said, but yet he answered me. And please don't miss this, because that to me conveys the love and the grace of God that in the moment when Jonah was at his worst he cried out to the Lord that's what caused him to cry out to the Lord but he says God didn't ignore me he answered me and look that's lift, that's way different than people because sometimes when we get ourselves into a mess or a jam or we we do some wrong things and and we reach out to people look, hey you made your own bed lie in it you made a mess deal with it and, and we can be so quick to cut people off and, and be cut off by others. But listen, it does not matter how low you go, God will still reach you there. And if you cry out to the Lord, he will answer you. Even if you've made an utter mess of things, despite how far Jonah had gone down, the moment, the moment he humbly broke and cried out to the Lord, he said, God, you were right there. And you answered me right away. And you came to my aid and you came to my deliverance. We have to remember despite what we have done you have never done anything that's put you beyond the mercy of god never it does not matter how bad of a mess you have made if you cry out to the lord he will hear you and answer you and help you and he will assist you because he's a god like that now as we look in verses two to nine to this picturesque language of jonah's prayer here i just want to make mention a lot of the quotations a lot of statements are quotations and references from truths found throughout the psalms uh, you may pick up on some of that many times when jonah's making these statements he's directly or indirectly referencing spiritual truths that are found in psalm 16 psalm 18 Psalm 30 and 31, Psalm 69, 88, 120. I mean, it's amazing the phrases, the statements he makes, how much of the word of God is contained within his prayer here. And I think that's insightful because it was, it was the word of God that was guiding Jonah's prayer. It was the truths that he knew as a man from the Psalms and the word of God that actually were what governed and guided how he prayed and communicated with God. And to me, this is a wonderful thing to take note of. The word of God became his reference point for believing even at my worst, I know what's true about God. And, and, and even in this situation, I know what God's word says and that's what directed him not only to pray, but to pray in consistency with God's will, knowing that God would help him if he cried out. And I'll tell you, familiarity with God's word can be one of the most helpful things to enable you and I to pray fruitfully. The more familiar you are with God's word, the more effective and fruitful you will be in your own prayer life. So we begin to see Jonah's prayer in verse 2. The first thing he says is, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice so he expresses his amazement that god heard his voice in the darkest lowest place he says it was from that place of the dark belly of sheol that i cried out to the lord now the question becomes is jonah using literal speech there or 
Is he speaking metaphorically and just kind of describing the conditions of what it was like in the belly of that great fish? Well, uh, could be either possibly, for example, the term Sheol that's used there in verse two, that term is used throughout the Old Testament. Sheol is a reference to the place of the dead where those who had died, where departed souls went to prior to the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And some believe, and you're free to believe that if you choose to, some believe that when Jonah went through this ordeal and he was tossed into the water and swallowed by the fish, that Jonah actually died at some point. And that Jonah actually died, and then at some point in the midst of this ordeal, then God resuscitated him. And God revived him and brought him back to life. And Jonah, in gratitude of what God had done, allowed him to die and given him his life back. That Jonah, in gratitude, uttered this prayer unto God, realizing that God had spared him. Most simply believe, on the other hand, that what Jonah is doing here is just using an analogy. And he's using terms that are descriptive and picturesque of his experience while inside the belly of the whale itself, that it was a dark hot place where he was cut off from the rest of the world and that's why he says the belly of Sheol kind of using that I tend to lean towards that myself personally that he's using more metaphorical language here in this moment well verse 3 goes on to say for God you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me and all your billows and your waves passed over me so even though remember Jonah told the reluctant sailors to throw him in and they did not want to do that but ultimately with regret they reluctantly did throw him into the storm take notice here that Jonah saw God as the one controlling all things because you see what he says there in verse 3 he says regarding God you cast me into the deep God, you're the one that cast me into the deep. In other words, Jonah saw that even in his time of resistance, that God was still the one superintending over all the affairs of his life. He says, Lord, you're the one that cast me into the deep. Despite Jonah's efforts to ignore and disregard what God wanted, he truly believed that God never lost control of the situation. And he says, Lord, it was actually not them. It was you that ultimately was the one who did what was best for me. And what did that involve? Well, it says there, being tossed into a sea. It says as well that God brought the floodwaters up around Jonah's neck to where he's almost starting to drown. And he says as well, and God, you were the one causing those waves of difficulty to come against me to wear down my resistance. And, and as Jonah gives the uh, credit to God for this, I think to myself, wow, Talk about God's determination, again, to constantly work in our lives. Even when we don't want God to be in control, he remains in control. And, and to me, that's a wonderful reality that even when we resist and we rebel and we run from doing what God doesn't want us to do and we're doing everything we can because we do not want God to be in control, God never loses control. And he stays in control, remains in charge. He directs events accordingly and adjusts even for dealing with my disobedience or maybe our failure. He's not opposed even to working in resistance to us. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud. He opposes the proud. And God has no problem saying, look, you, you, you can put out your best moves. But he says, trust me, I got better submission moves than you do escape moves. 
And, and God will do whatever he has to do. I mean, you look at this here. You throw me into the sea. God, you are letting the waters come up. And sometimes we, oh, I feel like I'm knocked down. I mean, I feel, I just feel like I'm about to drown. I feel like that everything is against me and pushing me back. And I'm just struggling to keep my head above water. And maybe God's saying, right, because that's what it takes for you to finally pray. That's what it takes sometimes maybe for us to realize we've erred off track. And Jonah in verse 4 describes his repentance. He says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So here he describes his repentance through the things that have happened. He says, God, I've been cast out of your sight. He felt like he had been separated from God due to his sinful actions. And the reality is sin does cause separation. God's a holy God and sin does separate us and in, interrupt and hinder our experience with God. And whenever we become conscious and aware of our sin, like Jonah was here, our responsibility is onefold. It's to repent. It's to change. It's to change our mind, to realize we've been doing what's wrong and own it and to turn back to God and to his way. And this is what Jonah's describing here. He says, God, despite my sin, verse four, he says, I will look again toward your holy temple. He's basically saying, Lord, I, I know what I've been. God, I turned away from you and I've been going the wrong direction. And Lord, I've been looking at everything I want to do and I want to see and I've been wrong. But he's saying, now I will turn back to you. I'll look again to your presence I'll look again toward you in your holy temple and saying, I took my eyes off you, God, but I'm putting my eyes back on you again and looking back. And this is exactly what repentance is. God, I want your rulership in my life again, he's saying. And perhaps you're here this morning and maybe this is a moment in your life, despite what's been going on, that God is trying to get your attention. And maybe you need to make a choice like Jonah, because it's a choice to repent towards the Lord. Maybe you need to take your eyes off of what you've been doing and put your eyes back on the Lord. Maybe you've turned away from the Lord and you haven't been following him in the way that you should. And maybe you need to humbly make a decision to look again to the Lord, to turn back to him in repentance to his will. Well, verse five, Jonah says, the waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me, weeds wrapped around my head. That's an interesting new wrap, huh? Verse 6, he says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed over me, behind me forever. So again, picturesque language of the miserable conditions that Jonah was going through here as he's running from God. He says, God, the waters surrounded me, the deep closed in. That could be a reference maybe to him drowning or maybe just even the, you know, the sinking down into the water, the deep closed in around me. He says, weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down to this dark place and he seemed from his perspective to feel like he was being locked away somewhere forever probably maybe a reference to when the the animal's mouth was closing and he felt like the door was shutting like a prison cell was just shutting right down on him and there was no way he was getting out of that pit and and oftentimes that can kind of be what life is like when we are not walking in the way we're supposed to with the lord we, we experience some of the same things it feels like hard circumstances are closing in it feels like we're overwhelmed and, and many times we just feel like we're sinking into this dark, low place and like we're just you know, headed towards this horrible pit and we find ourselves sometimes feeling like we're just trapped in a pit 
and we don't even know how to get out and we can't escape and we feel so hopeless and we think, Lord, I've dug the, this pit and now I don't even know how to get out of it now. And this seems so dark and hopeless and like I'm stuck here forever. But look, verse 6, as it goes on, at the marvelous grace and mercy of God. He says, verse 6, look at the end of it, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. He says, God, it looked like I was going to be in that dark pit forever. And then you intervened. You stepped in. I was in a pit. I was stuck. The bars closed behind me. The prison cell shut. Lord, I was convinced I was going to be stuck in that condition forever. And you rescued me. You intervened, God. You, you stepped in and did something marvelous and, and raised me back up. And I'll tell you something. I love verse 6 where he says, You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Because I'll tell you, God is no respecter of persons. And God loves you and I just as much as he loved Jonah the prophet. And for some of us, we can read verse 6 and we say, man, that's my story. There's my testimony right there. That was my experience. God brought my life up from the pit. And for some of us, we can read that and we can relate to it very clearly with what God has done in our lives. And let me just say today, if you are in a pit of any kind, whether it's a pit of despair or a pit of sin or whatever it may be, and you feel like that you are just stuck in a pit, listen, it is not hopeless. It is not hopeless. I don't care how deep or how dark or how difficult or what has taken place, you must stop trying to fix it yourself and realize that if you cry out to the Lord, that just like for Jonah, he can bring your life out of the pit. He can do that. It tells us in Psalm 40, verse 2, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And that can be your experience. It can be your experience. He can bring you up out of any pit God can rescue you. Reach out to him and ask him to do such. Verse 7, Jonah says, And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He says, It took me fainting from exhaustion, from all my own resistance and rebellion and efforts. to. And he says, Lord, it was then when I was just fainting personally that I finally remembered that you're way stronger. Because he says in verse 7 there, it's in the midst of the weariness and fainting of my soul that then my prayer went up to you. When Jonah was at the end of his own human strength, God had to wear him down. And when he came to the end of his strength and he was weak and weary and unable to keep going, he realized he couldn't do it. And it was at that moment when he found himself in that place, he remembered how strong God was. And he said, God, I'm weak and hopeless. Strengthen me, God. Save me. And he cried out in the faint, weak condition he was in. And sometimes I'll tell you, God has to almost weaken us before he can strengthen us sometimes. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, God gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Sometimes our problem is we're too strong and we're independent and we're going to fit and we can handle it and that's just our nature and then we translate that temperament into our spiritual life and God says, I don't, I don't roll that way. I'm God. <laughs> and the Bible tells us 
that God gives power to the weak. And sometimes, well, Lord, I don't understand. Why is this so hard? And he says, because you're too strong. It's when you become weak and you realize your own weakness and you realize your own humanity and you realize that you're just like every other person. You're no superhero. And when you realize that you're weak and you recognize you're weak and you come to God with your weakness, it says he gives power to the weak because the strong don't think they need God's strength. And so Jonah had to be weakened. And here when he came to his place of weakness, he says, when my soul fainted within, when I was, that's it, I was going down. When I was fainting, then he says, that was when my prayer went up to you. God, strengthen me, strengthen me. And God is always ready to send forth strength to a fainting, weak person when they ask for it. Verse 8, Jonah then says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So Jonah, having learned through this whole experience, is expressing now a really important truth that he had come to develop. He talks about those who worship worthless idols. Again, idols or idolatry is basically the worship or devotion to anything besides God himself. That's what idolatry is in simplicity. And idolatry will never satisfy and it always robs us of experiencing God's best, which is God being the supreme thing in our life. Jonah says here, when people give their allegiance to following worthless idols, he says, the result of that is they actually forsake the mercy that God wants to extend into their lives. It's interesting, as Jonah says in verse 8 there, those who regard worthless idols. I don't think Jonah was down there with little statues in his pocket and you know, having a little idolatry service. So what is he referring to as a worthless idol? I personally think when he talks about a worthless idol, I believe he's referring to himself. Because Jonah was basically guilty of the idolatry of himself. He had put himself... And his desires and his ideas and his preferences and his ways and his plan and his purpose over God's. And in a sense, Jonah had become guilty in this situation, really, of exalting the importance of himself over the importance of God. It was really nothing other than just worship of self, devotion to one's own self-will. And Jonah realized this is probably one of the worst forms of idolatry idolizing yourself and your own self-will and putting yourself before God and before God's plans and purposes and to live that way where you enthrone yourself for what you want and that you become the most important thing and what you want is the most important thing, I'll tell you, that is utterly worthless. Been there, done that. That is an utterly empty, worthless way to live. When you idolize yourself and your own self-will, and the reason why is because it goes against everything that is right and everything that God intended for us. And so Jonah here recognized that the emptiness, the frustration, the disappointment, he says, how miserable. And he says, not to mention, he says, when we do that, we rob ourselves of God's merciful help in our lives. He says, when we regard worthless idols, we forsake our own mercy. See, we rob ourselves of all the good things that God wants to do because God wants to help us. God wants to be merciful to us. The Bible says that he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're weak. And so God wants to be merciful to you and gracious to me to see you succeed and prosper. And we all desperately need God's mercy in our life. We all deeply need God's help and assistance. And when we reject the Lord's way 
and pursue our own way, not only is that stubborn and self-idolatry, it's actually sabotaging ourselves from God's best for our life because we forsake God's own mercy and God is not opposed to withholding his favor and help. God won't endorse my disobedience. God won't bless my walking in opposition to what his plans and purposes are if I'm being self-serving. And due to my own selfishness or your pride or our stubbornness, we can end up forsaking God's blessing in our life. We can end up forsaking God's merciful kindness to help and assist us. And Jonah had learned this the hard way and he's now repented and God's honored this heart change and he's referring to it. He says in verse 9, expressing his gratitude, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And I will pay what I have vowed. Notice Jonah's expression of responsive gratitude to God for saving him. He declares to the Lord there, verse 9, Lord, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And I can hear Jonah's heart speaking here of his surrender of his own will, the sacrifice unto the Lord of thanksgiving. He's saying, God, I am willing to sacrifice. And you know what Jonah's biggest sacrifice was? His own self-will. I am willing to sacrifice, God, my desires and my thoughts, which want to do the opposite of what you told me to do in my life and what your will is. I'm willing to sacrifice my will and embrace your will. And I'll tell you, that is the hardest sacrifice anybody can offer, to sacrifice over our own self-will. And Jonah says, I will offer the fruit, the sacrifice of thanksgiving from his voice because in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I've been quite a stinker, I think Jonah's thinking. Lord, thank you so much for being merciful to me. Thank you so much for sparing me. And, and Lord, when I was in my failure and, and behaving like a fool, Lord, thank you for sparing me in that. Lord, it could have been way worse, the catastrophe I could have created. Lord, the problems, the pain, the consequences could have been so... But Lord, thank you. You spared me despite my foolishness and you've given me another shot here. And Jonah here, so grateful. Notice his gratitude translated into response. He says, so therefore, Lord, I will pay what I vowed. That speaks of wanting to live obediently to God. Maybe Jonah, we don't know. Maybe he made a vow to God in the midst of all the trauma when all this is going, Lord, if you spare me, I will serve you. I promise. Lord, just get me out of this fish. Lord, this is horrible. And maybe he made a vow and here he wants to follow through with it. He then makes a, a final declaration to the Lord of what he experienced in verse 9 saying, and salvation is of the Lord. If there's one thing Jonah learned through this process was it was God and God alone who had spared him and saved him. I mean, think of just the reality of what took place. Once he was in the belly of that great fish and like he described, the, the, the bars of the earth closed over him forever he felt like in that moment, that's it. My fate is sealed. I mean, he, this guy was doomed. What was he going to do to deliver himself at this point? What was he going to do? to His fate was sealed. He was powerless and helpless in his own consequence for his sin. And all Jonah could do was humbly cry out to God and say, God, save me out of this. God, save me from myself and all the stupid stuff I've done. God, save me. That's all I can do. God, save me. And that's all Jonah could do at this moment. And when he cried out to God, God answered and powerfully delivered him. 
But again, this is why Jonah is realizing he did nothing to save himself. He just humbly cried out for God's salvation and God had mercy and the salvation was performed by the Lord. That's why he says salvation is of the Lord. It's from the Lord. And I'll tell you, that statement is true in every respect. Salvation is of or from the Lord. Whether it's a mess or a pit we make for ourselves circumstantially and we can't get out of it, and we say, God, I cannot get out of the pit I've created for myself, but if, if you'll spare me, God, if you'll save me, God, God brings the deliverance. He's the one that orchestrates it. And in the fullest sense, that is true spiritually and eternally, that salvation is of the Lord to spare us from hell and the consequences of our own sin through Jesus Christ. The reality is, is we have all, like Jonah, disobeyed and rebelled against God. We've all sinned against God. And the Bible says, as a result, we deserve a consequence for our sin, that, that hell is real and that, that we deserve eternal damnation for our rebellion and our sin against God. But God in his love sent Jesus to come, live the perfect life you and I don't live, and Jesus then took our punishment for our sin, died in our place so that we could be spared, so we could be saved. God punished him so that he wouldn't have to punish us. And Jesus rose from the dead to be a living Savior. To say to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. But if you come to me as the living, risen Savior, Jesus says, I can forgive all your sin, wash you clean. Everything wrong you've ever done will be removed. Your guilt is gone. And I can give you my eternal life that I possess as the Son of God. And you can have absolute assurance when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But you must be saved. I must be saved from that condition. But listen, salvation is of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But all we do is call upon the Lord and ask for his salvation, but the Lord brings the salvation. But we need to realize that only he can save us. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves up spiritually or religiously. He has to save us. And we should remember too, salvation is of the Lord, that when we minister and, and, and do things together as a church to realize, look, we can preach the gospel we can pray, we can give people opportunities to accept Jesus and be saved, but the reality is if God doesn't save people, it will never happen. And so when we're a part of ministry, Lord, we're asking, you're the only one that can bring salvation. Save, Lord. Please, Lord. We can present the truth, but you alone can bring the salvation in people's souls. Well, look how verse 10 ends, quite a fitting end and a transition to next week. It says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited. There's a picture for you right before lunch. It vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So as Jonah humbly repents, God mercifully responds and he saves him. And notice, it wasn't the most pleasant form of salvation. It, quite honestly, it was probably a little bit humbling, but God accomplished the purpose. And in this moment, God communicates to this large fish that it's time to vomit out its praying passenger. And this fish is more obedient to God than Jonah, God's own servant, was. God says, time to barf. Yes, sir, creator. And, and just has the urge to regurge and launches Jonah. I mean, was it projectile? I don't know. I mean, I'm a guy. I think about these kind of things. The boys in the room tend to do that. But, but he just vomits him out. I can't imagine it for Jonah, for people who saw it. But notice where he deposits Jonah. It says he vomited him out onto the dry land, not back into the storm. Here's the thing. Did he vomit Jonah right back to the seaport of Joppa and say, right where you started, let's, let's try this again? 
could be that he vomited Jonah right on the shore of Nineveh. He vomits Jonah onto dry land, but the point is this, God positions him back to the very place he was trying to avoid, and the whole time Jonah, look, the whole time Jonah's undergoing this struggle of submission to God, God has Jonah in that fish, and God has the fish moving so that Jonah ends up right where God wants him to be. And I look at this and I think, boy, this is marvelous. How encouraging that God is always in control at getting us right where he desires us to be. Even if we make mistakes, we mess up, we take detours, God is still able to work things out to bring us somehow to still get us right where he wants us to be. And we, we can take the easy route or we can take the wild ride. <laughs> but the reality is at the end of the day, because God is merciful, he will always get you right to where he ultimately wants you to be anyway. Praise God he's sovereign in that way. Amen.